Hi, this is David Sweet, CEO and founder of Focus Core Japan. And if you were like many of the APAC leaders that I speak to, you're struggling in Japan to find the right talent. You get bombarded with irrelevant resumes or a lack of resumes altogether. I would like to invite you to discover the power of Focus Core's retained search. Let Focus Core help you swiftly secure top tier talent in this candidate short market. I'd like to invite you to shoot me an email and explore how we're different. And with a 100% refundable trial, we can revolutionize your hiring process today. Now, on to our podcast. I sense much fear in you, young Skywalker. <laughs> Welcome to the Focus Core podcast. Today I am joined by Pascal Gebert Gallier. I totally butchered that, didn't I? I think you did. It's the German stuff. <laughs> we started in German. <laughs> and, uh, well, well, it's nice, my friend. Welcome, welcome, Pascal. <laughs> Thanks, David. So, Thanks for having Pas me. You're welcome. Pascal is uh, the. Uh, country manager for SES Imid in Magotag. And uh, before that, you were, and you're also an advisor for the bakery Gotran Scherer. And I probably butchered that as well, but boy, they have great croissants. Um, prior to joining SES in Magotag, he was the director for Biosibon, which was one of the largest European organic retail chains. They now went from zero to 27 stores within four years in Japan, which is absolutely uh, fantastic. Uh, you've worked uh, both here and in Asia, Middle East, Africa. I think I met you back in the day when you were at uh, DM International, which you were doing pop-up displays for the luxury industry. And uh, you started your career in the industrial sector. You've got many uh, wonderful degrees. You're fluent in Japanese, Chinese, English, French. You're just a Renaissance man. And I'm always very happy to speak to you, Pascal. Welcome. Thanks very much, David. I'm very happy to talk to you as well. And as you said, it's been a, it's been a long time since <laughs> we've known each other. <laughs> But uh, hey, uh, good. Uh, always good to be with friends. So, so let's talk about your path to Japan. Uh, kind of walk me through uh, our listeners how you got here. Mm, that's always the first question uh, that uh, foreigners ask each other, right? How long? How long have you been in Japan, and uh, what brought you to yep. Japan? I was actually uh, asking, having that discussion uh, this morning with the French Minister of. Um, Commerce, who was in was in Tokyo, uh, he was telling the whole audience that he loved Japan. He was in Japan because of uh, personal reasons. So I asked him, "Why did you come? Uh, what, what sparked the interest?" And he said, "Hmm, I'm probably are the same age." And uh, you know, I was watching anime and manga when I was a child, and uh, I wanted to know more. And that's really what sparked his interest in Japan. And I, I think for a lot of people in uh, our generation, uh, it's either this so the the pop culture 
um, or the martial arts and or maybe for the French men, I would say, you know, uh, we we are what we are, um, the Japanese. Uh, let's say beauties uh, would be one one way or the other <laughs> and sometimes it's you start with one and you end up with the with the later uh, which is pretty much uh, what i happen to have so i started with uh, with martial arts uh, actually i got introduced to judo at a very young age started at six um then i got interested into into japan as a um, let's say teenager and i wanted to know more about the country um loved the pop culture, I love the soft power um, that uh, Japan was displaying, displaying at the time. And um, I decided that, uh, you know, to get to, to know the country better, uh, I had to study uh, Japanese and, and really come try to, to, to see by myself. So when I entered university, I had the possibility to start learning. And uh, I first came over, yeah, more than 20 years ago, 2002. That was my first trip to Japan. And the rest is history, as I say. <laughs> nice. So I'm going to start you off with a with a more difficult question, with a sharper question. Have you ever oh. chopped anyone in half? <laughs> yes, uh, in my mind, certainly. Um, but I, I try to limit myself to uh, to tatami mats these days. Uh, it's uh, it's safer for everyone, uh, clearly, and uh, provides the same benefit of uh, stress release. Uh, I would say. But uh, yeah, uh, you you mentioning to. Um, my practice of uh, the, the Japanese art of fencing, uh, which is uh, Kenjutsu, uh, and especially so what um, the area I'm practicing, which is Batodo, Batodo, which is the art of cutting. And uh, yes, we do not chop anybody. We only chop usually uh, either bamboos or tata, rolled tatami mats. But it's, it's similarly hard, uh, I would say. And it's a great stress reliever because uh, you need to be very careful. Uh, obviously, the, the Japanese swords, the katana, everybody knows about it. Uh, in, in the films, everybody, you know, has fantasms or fantasies about what this is about. Uh, but, you know, it's just a sharp blade. So you just you have, have to be careful, mindful of your surroundings, of what you're doing. And it's just another martial arts. So you're focusing on improving yourself, uh, concentrating, making uh, making yourself a better person. So that's really the core of it right now. What the, so how did you get into Kenjutsu? It's an evolution. Uh, as I said, uh, I started with uh, with judo. I did uh, I did some karate after that. Uh, kept going with with jujitsu. And um, as I was getting older, um, I was always fascinated by the the samurai culture. And yeah. uh, you know, there, there's a saying that uh, when you're ready, the teacher appears. And uh, it's pretty much pretty much what what happened. Uh, so I contact a friend of mine uh, through our daughters actually uh, at school. We got in touch, and um, you know, I just learned that he was practicing. Uh, he's black. He's a black belt now. Uh, he's fifth, sixth time. And um, and I said, yeah, I'm doing this. And a small group. Uh, we with our sensei, we we ten. Why, why don't you come over? So that was um, three years ago now. Wow. And. Uh, yeah, that was that was mind mind blowing. That's really what I wanted to do. So unfortunately, in I don't have way, much time. In what way was it mind blowing? Because you're thrown back a few centuries. Uh, basically, you don't usually see people walking around with swords anymore, right? Since the the 1870s in Japan, mm -hmm. and and seeing even for even for the Japanese, you don't have that many people uh, really practicing. These days, it's quite confidential. 
uh, and yeah, it would uh, spark images of, uh, as you were saying, are you cutting people in half? Is this person <laughs> dangerous? What are you doing on the street when you're walking around with your katana? And uh, don't worry, this is peaceful. Uh, we are peaceful warriors. Um, <laughs> but it, it can, uh, you know, it's it, if you start with a, on the wrong foot, <laughs> you can have a wrong image. <laughs> so and and uh, yeah. The key is really self-improvement. Um, it, it's quite technical. And the interesting thing is um, you're spending a whole lot of time to try to be natural. And mm. when you do your first cut, the first time you, you touch a katana, you will do your first cut very cleanly. Everybody can do it. And then the mind starts you know, thinking, overthinking, and then it gets complicated and you spend a whole life trying to come back to, your, to what you first had. It's just like uh, the babies can do it. But uh, then after that, you make things complicated. And I think in life and business, it's the same. Uh, you start working, you don't think about it. And then when you start overthinking, a lot of problems, lots of problems happen. So same same fight in life as well as in uh, in Batodo. Go back to the roots. Go back to the natural movement. I got my first on in, in karate. And I found that... Uh, it it does impact how you work and, and that kind of mental resilience. Um, it slows things down. And then just doing kata hmm. also helps in, in just the practice, the repetition to get ready for. Because I really liked uh, fighting. I liked um, you know, doing uh, tournaments and such. But when I was watching you cut, into a tatami it's very quick it's very smooth it's just one action it it um it's very zen it is it's one cut one kill basically <laughs> uh which is also one one stroke one 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 word basically uh so you you will see that across a lot of uh, disciplines I think in Japan um, pertains very much to to the Japanese spirit, right? Mm-hmm. And we also do we also do kata, and I think uh, to understand the, the Japanese psyche is quite it's quite important. It's just like you have to learn the rules. The kata is the form, right? So you have to to first learn the form. You have to to be within the mold. Yeah, and then learn your place, basically learn the rules, and then slowly as you progress, as you master your craft, then you can start bending the rules. And then when you really reach mastership level, you can start breaking the rules and then make them make them your own. And that's, I mean, the late, very very late stage. Uh, and I think in life, in business, uh, in in those arts, it's the same thing. Mm-hmm. If you want to start in a, in a Japanese environment, I mean, our our listeners uh, are <laughs> business minded people. Uh, if you want to do business in Japan as a foreigner, uh, if you come in and you want to crash and you know destroy the rules and everything, you're not gonna last very long. Mm. Uh, you have to adapt to the set of things and then slowly by slowly you start making changes. Uh, but you're not gonna do the revolution. Uh, you don't you don't hold the truth. Uh, people have been there. Um, the environment is different. Um, so you need first to learn that. And then after that, yes, start making changes slowly uh, but surely. And then at the end of the day, yes, you can break the rules, but first learn the rules. Yeah. It would be it would, should be more successful in the long run. It takes time. 
takes time. So you have to have the, the right mindset. You have to be willing to make efforts. Um, but I think it might be a little bit more visible in Japan, um, mm. but it's pretty much the same everywhere. Yeah. It, and it's day. learning that craft and then being finding the freedom within a craft. Exactly. Yeah. And the, the blade you use, now you have a Nambokucho blade. Um, talk about that. Yes. So I have a actually a small collection, I would say. So uh, as you may know, uh, samurai were using different types of blades. So they had the, the katana, the long one. Oh. They had also the, the wakizashi, which is uh, used to be the second, second blade or the one you were using uh, for self-protection uh, within the, the confine of the, of the houses, of the buildings, because you can't wield a long, a long blade. So those were the two main ones, the daisho. Uh, long and short blades that the samurai were wielding, and sometimes they also had shorter ones, uh, kind of a knife, which is called a tanto. So those are the three main um, blades, and they, you they will be defined by the length. So less than thirty centimeters would be a tanto, and between thirty to sixty is is a wakizashi, and over sixty is a, is a katana. Um, so I'm only using uh, historic. Uh, historic blades and uh, so I do have a tanto from a Kamakura Jidai Kamakura period so it dates back to 1100 year old and the blade is in a pristine condition which is kind of crazy when you think about it uh, <laughs> and you can buy that you know on uh, on Rakuten on Yahoo for uh, $1000 kind of if you're uh, if it's not assigned or you know blade etc so it's not even that expensive when you think about it, for a piece of uh, of history, and uh, yeah, I've been using this uh, for my cut. So the the dealer went mad at me because <laughs> tell me what you're doing with a historic <laughs> blade. But uh, hey, you know it's been uh, battle proven, battle hardened, uh, battle tested, and uh, yes, you can have very good modern blades. You do still have about a hundred swordsmiths in Japan still producing to this day, um, but wow. makes um makes a different thing to to connect let's say with a, a piece of uh, piece of history which has been made uh, in that case of my katana it's uh, in the 14 about 1450 so more than 60 about 600 years ago yeah very very specific the blades shape changes uh, with history you know and the, the mongol invasions influenced uh, the sure. the shape because the the mongol armor was different than the japanese armor uh, the peacetime during the edo period uh, people were not fighting with uh, armor anymore, so the blade got straighter, a bit longer. So um, before that, uh, the main uh, fighting method during the Kamakura period was on on horse. So you have also deeper curve. Uh, the place of the curve on the blade is not the same; uh, it's longer. And then those blade, historic blade, sometimes they got shortened uh, to fit with uh, with the times, and still got uh, handed down, you know, the generations after generations well protected so it's um there's a beauty uh, there is beauty in uh, in the steel there's beauty in the sword uh, it's very technical uh, the process involved is it's not just on a craft you know and it's you, it's just like almost priesthood in a way uh, there is a link with uh, shinto there is a link with the religion uh, people were saying that the katana is the blade and the blade is the soul of a samurai so the ability to maintain it, um, the purity, the cleanness of it, um, there's there's a lot of cultural meaning embedded into this, and those are really really beautiful, beautiful pieces of uh, of metalwork, frankly speaking. Wow. And that's why I think it's you know 
it's been conveyed and everybody in the world knows about katana um there's mystic around it but the, the sheer beauty and the whole process coming into it is just mm -hmm. far much more than a weapon and yeah. that's also one of the reasons why uh in our practice we're often very much uh invited to perform at uh at the jinja at uh -huh. the shrines yeah. uh, because there, there's this, this link with uh with the japanese culture um you know the the katanas the tachis were often uh sold uh given as present to the to the shrines um because there's a way to to cut through evil yeah uh, you have a lot of uh you know the japanese katana cutting through evil so the protection the mamori katana for example is still something very much to this day so when you have a, a daughter being born uh, some families would have a tanto so a knife uh -huh. being forged for her placed in in a cradle to protect her and what of all the evil spirits so it's still present to this day so there is a very deeply rooted uh tradition uh, around the blade the japanese blade uh, which is still uh, very much present wow what an awesome cultural background for you and, and context for for diving into all that you do because i know you've i mean we've talked a lot about offline uh, about history and uh and we share a lot of of that joy uh, together but i didn't realize how how much um that went into into that into the culture which is fantastic and now you're now you're the japan country manager for SES imago so i'm switching from my bad french to bad german um i study german so i should be better at that imago <laughs> Um, yes yes tell us about that sure um so as i said it's german but uh, actually magotak was an austrian company and uh, SES sounds uh, sounds english but actually it is it's store uh equi uh store electronic systems but it was founded 30 years ago as a, as a french company so you know uh some french companies even with our bad comment of english are still trying to be international from the get-go and uh, i think there's a there's some hope in the french tech somehow <laughs> <laughs> especially with the with the young generation but um yeah to put it uh, simply ss magotag uh it, as i said company founded 30 years ago and grew externally uh internally uh, organic uh, organic growth and external growth uh what we're doing is historically speaking we've been the founder and inventor of the electronic shelf label so esl what is an esl it's just a digital tag uh which historically was only displaying price in supermarkets uh our founder uh was coming from a, a retailing retailer and uh, basically you, his family was owning uh several different supermarkets in the north of france and as a kid he used to swap paper tax you know with the prices and they had more than six thousand skus so sing storekeeping units uh so single references took them forever to do that uh it's he was counting there was roughly one minute per tag in order to do to do that correctly yeah so multiplied it by sixty thousand yeah 60,000 minutes that's an awful long time and cost and so as a kid he got really fed up with that and so he ventured to find a way to try to automate uh, these pricing changes and that's how the company was funded um with that vision uh, 30 years down the road uh, we're now in a very different place um yeah. we just announced our financial reasons the results 620 million euros 
mm-hmm. uh, growth of 45% year on year, uh, which has been steady since the last 10 years. Why? Because what we do right now is a platform mm-hmm. to digitize the physical store. So it's not only pricing automation, uh, it's also everything which is linked to out-of-stock uh, operational efficiency within the store, how to generate data, analyze that data, uh, drive the staff to be more efficient at what they do, uh, picking, uh, stock, stock counting, uh, inventory management, and also using, because those are displays at the end of the day, yep. uh, using the displays to communicate uh, with the client, uh, having the brands um, deliver the message at the point of sale. Um, so also for the customer being able to to bridge the gap between the physical store and the experience they have on, on the e-commerce, being able to link through, for example, NFC, QR codes, new types of technology um, to go and shop even within the store. Say, for example, you don't have the product is out of stock. Um, you scan the QR code on the on the tag, then boom, you're off onto the on either the retail platform or the e-commerce, you can order the same, or you can know where the product is available at a nearby store, or what you can have, you, you can have also suggestions as to what kind of similar product you have. Or you can have, as we say in Japan, the osusume, meaning, uh-huh. okay, if you bought that product, then you might be interested in this other product. So it's a whole new level of uh, what we call, it's a little bit barbaric, but digital. Uh, so the, the, the bridge, uh, between physical and digital. And basically the equation is that the physical, physical plus digital, one plus one equals more than two. It's just how you can provide, uh, to the shopper a seamless experience between what he knows at the store, what he knows, uh, you know, online and try to make the experience more enjoyable uh, for them. Because at the end of the day, why would you go to a store if you can buy everything online? You have to you have to to provide something more. That was also what I was doing at uh, at Biosimo here. Is if people can do the shopping online, then they need to get a little bit something out of coming to the store. It's the human touch. It's the learning experience. It's the discovery. It's the you know intensity. Maybe it needs to be fun. It needs to be something different. Uh, that's why I think also in the retail environment in Japan, um, company like. Uh, uh, Don Quixote, for example, yep. uh, so Pan Pacific Holding is it's crazy for by Western status because it's yep. it's all over the place. It's all over the place. Just like you go to the bazaar, you can't find your product, but you go on a weekend, you want to have fun. Yeah, let's go to Don Quixote. It's just like going to Disneyland. There's uh, everything, <laughs> everything it, you want, everything me, anywhere. <laughs> it reminds me, Don Quixote, now that you've talked about that, it reminds me of a Japanese website. So but you go to a Japanese website and it looks like Don Quixote. It's got everything on it. And you can find you have to go through all the shelves to find out what you're looking for. Exactly. <laughs> what what do you find in in bringing this into Japan? How do you find this different than than rollout in Europe? So Europe is pretty much advanced in terms of um, uh, adoption of that technology, mm. uh, and actually has been a leader uh, in driving it. So in the world, uh, Europe is probably the farm much advanced player, uh, and especially France in, in that field, uh, which has been our historic uh, market. Then you and the Americas, and especially now the US since mm-hmm. COVID, uh, you know, with uh, the difficulty to get staff, uh, the cost increase, inflation, um, pricing rotation, which are, which are increasing uh, out of stocks, issues on supply chain. The need for such solutions has 
really, really been, I mean, it's it's needed more than ever. And yeah. everybody in the C-suite has realized that they have to do that. So within the last two years, uh, we've seen, so Walmart adopt our, our solution. Uh, actually, it's a solution we co-develop with them. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we are their exclusive supplier and they're the number one in the world uh, in terms of size. Um, but then after that, everybody, so Kroger, uh, we're equipping some of the Amazon stores as well in the in the US. So everybody's jumping on the train because they need that. Uh, you need to be more efficient. Uh, you know, retail is is a very low profit margin uh, kind of business. You're talking bottom line one to three percent. So with all those constraints arriving, it's just a perfect storm. Everything happening at the same time, mm. uh, all over the place. So you need to think out of the box and bring some new solutions. And those new solutions need to be as, let's say, close to what you could find in your everyday life with your, uh, let's say, your IT systems. So if you're an Android or Apple user, you think you want to have an ecosystem, which is as easy to use as possible, plug and play. You don't want to go through books and books of, uh, you know, manuals to try to understand how to operate your, your system. Just way past that. Um, but, but that was what happened in, in Japan years ago with, a with a club, or how do you call that? The, the, the clapé, all the phones. I, I remember having my first iPhone was thinking, yeah, yeah where, where's the manual? There's no manual yeah. but, uh, for the Japanese phones. They were coming with a 400 pages kind of, uh, or so manuals like, okay, it makes everything from a SMS to short message to video to maybe, maybe making coffee. I don't know how to <laughs> read about it because it, it's, it's way too long. It's way too complicated. So that's what we tried to, to do and having our systems really integrating seamless, seamlessly within the architecture, uh, at the store. So if you plug, uh, we have partnership with Cisco, for example. Uh, if we bring your our IoT device uh, in the system at the push of a button, um, basically everything is going to come online. Mm. So it has to be that easy, because otherwise you cannot ramp it up uh, into you know a portfolio of several thousands. Even if, if you're thinking in Japan in the convenience stores, and uh, you're talking tens of thousands of stores. It would take years if you were on legacy systems, which are requiring a local server, meaning you need to have people, train people to go to the deep end of Aomori, for example, to to, to do cabling, to, in, to install the server, to put a program on that. And then after that maintenance, it's crazy. So mm-hmm. everything for us is cloud-based, everything remotely operated. Um, the HQ has full visibility, full control on what's happening. And that's basically how we've been able uh, to equip some retail stores, uh, retail chains uh, in Europe, in the US. Uh, in the US, we had last uh, last year 3,500 stores installed within six months wow. uh, with a mattress firm. Yeah, which is which is crazy. I mean, took took forever with the, with the previous technology, but with the with the, the move to cloud. And with the second largest customer of Microsoft as of now for their cloud business. Nice. Can you believe it? And we're just at the very beginning of a story. So Amazing. it's um it's a revolution, uh, frankly speaking, not something that the customer sees very much yet in Japan, because Japan is lagging uh to some uh, to some extent in that end. Uh I think our listeners who, who may not be Japan may have the image that Japan is a very, very technologic technologically advanced. Uh, society, which by some aspect is true, uh, on the robotic side, on the AI side, a lot of uh, a very good technology, a lot of very very high profile 
uh, companies, uh, the Midex, KNs, etc. Uh, but at the same time, it's totally a laggard in yeah. uh, in in maintenance of um, systems developed in in the 1970s. Everybody's talking about the digital cliff coming in 2025 when uh, all these guys retire and there's nobody to operate the system. I mean. Talk about some of big banks last year having their ATM system crash like eight times, not being able to to withdraw one 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 yen over yeah. one day and eight times in in a year. That, that's crazy. How can you operate? Um, it, it's not possible. So the the move to something uh, which is a totally brand new technology. So starting from a clean slate and building up instead of ju- just doing the the milfoy the layered approach. Which has pretty much been uh, the, the Japanese, uh, let's say, approach for the IT systems over over the last fifty years. It's uh, it's scary, scary for them um, because they have to let go of uh, all these uh, all these systems, and you have all these um, embedded teams as well worrying for their own you know situation. What what's going to happen to us? So if we don't need anybody anybody to uh, operate the servers, etc., if we go cloudless, if we go on the cloud what will become of us so those are legitimate questions um and this needs to be to be approached but what i can see right now is it's most of the systems being operated are not sustainable mm. are not sustainable now we when i was addressing we're still getting with <laughs> some of our suppliers requested fax well wholesale yeah for wholesale and still very much a, a practice to this day. I mean, talk about facts to to anybody anywhere outside of Japan. They look at you and say you're crazy. And then we went on to to digitize our ordering system, and they couldn't do email, mm. so we had to do e-fax. <laughs> why 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 do you want to keep that, <laughs> right? But I was you know, talking to a client last week that's the same, still complaining about wholesalers wanting faxes and uh... yeah. But that, I that, think that's, what, that's, what I've seen is with what you're talking about, we, the the customer will drive a lot of that change for you because customers want the experience. I, For example, I want to do some shopping online. I want to compare stuff, but I want to go and try on my shoes, my running shoes in the shop, right? So then I want that experience, but then I want to come home and buy because I don't want to carry my bag around. And so I want that kind of seamless uh, integration and I expect it is, and I will go to the client to the retailer that has that. Yes, that, that's that's very true. So um, client vote with their feet, basically, right? Absolutely. So, uh, and and that's right. So that's why I think you know some of the of the of the retailers uh, which really are getting this. Uh, you mm-hmm. do have you do have some in Japan. Uh, I mean, a, a brand like a uh, fast retailing. Yeah. Uh, for example, the success they're enjoying is linked to them being pioneers, being able to um, to bring in technology to support their core business, being really good at what they're doing. Uh, you don't reach that kind of success in 2,500 stores right now uh, worldwide without being on top of your game. Mm-hmm. So you do have you do have some examples, but I would say the the vast majority of the the retail environment in Japan is still very much local. Mm-hmm. Um, knows that. They have to do something, but don't necessarily yet um, grasp all the aspects of it. And so, COVID somehow has stopped you know people going outside of Japan trying to see what was happening. Uh, uh, and the world moved very quickly actually during those three years. Mm-hmm. So now that the borders are reopened, um, I'm trying to get uh, my prospects, my customers 
to go and see what's happening. And, uh, you know, we were in New York. Uh, there is the, the largest trail, uh, trade show for retail, which is in New York, actually, and uh, the NRF in early January. The number of Japanese uh, delegations we, we hosted was mind-boggling. Mind and everybody was looking and say, wow, is that really existing? Is that the video? No, no, it's an actual live store. You can do that? Yes, yes, we can. And you can do it as well. So, yeah. but um, it, it, I think, you know, Time stood a bit still in Japan yeah. for yeah. for the last three years, uh, but now everybody's realizing like, oh, we need to catch up, mm. uh, and we need to do so quickly. And I have um, high hopes because I know that uh, when the Japanese get in order, uh, they yeah. can move and they can move very, very, very quickly. They take time to decide, but once everything is uh, is done, it will it will happen. It will happen quickly. Yeah, traditionally we we're very good at that. We take a lot of time to decide. We we measure. Not twice, not three times, but like 70 times and cut once, but we get there. What For you, what's what's the biggest challenge you're facing? Oh, uh, I think um, there's there's one you're going to love, which is uh, how to build a, a good team uh, <laughs> to actually operate and, and be efficient at the level we need to be at. Yeah. Um, and and uh, <laughs> not saying this because... Uh, uh, because of your profession, David, but um, it's um, it's really because it's something I, I believe in. Uh, there is, a, you know, we have this saying that in the richest kingdom, there is only wealth, but in men. Yeah. And it's it's really that. And you know how hard it is, um, especially for foreign businesses, to be able to find that kind of the right mindset, the right person uh, with uh, the social skills, the the competencies, the the cultural fit. It's so complicated so complicated um and to just have everybody bind together uh especially you know when you're not uh let's say a microsoft a google or you don't have such a brand name you're more on a b2b with less visibility is why would people join you mm -hmm. uh, what, are, what are you offering so it's it's always um a challenge an interesting one yep. uh, but without this there is no there is no development, there is no growth, there is nothing. So for me, that's that's the most important one right now. And of yeah. course, after that, you know, convincing the client, bringing them on board, delivery, etc. Uh, I wouldn't say this is mechanical uh, because there are some local peculiarities linked to the Japanese market, um, the need to to localize language, UI, UX, etc. But once again, nothing impossible as long as you as you know how you keep your DNA, how you you keep your core, uh, and then you you adapt. Um, but to do so, you need to have people who can do the bridge, right. who can bridge that gap. And that's complicated because if you don't have these people, you're going to fail. And unfortunately, <laughs> the history of failures uh, for foreign company entering the Japanese market is actually quite long. Yeah. So, uh, and uh, for me, it boils down to people. It's interesting. I mean, there is a one, it's a candidate short market. Um, mm. And so it's very difficult to find um, good talent for companies across the board, right? But then you start looking at um, individuals that are looking now. They're, I find that the younger folks tend to be risk averse and uh, commercially averse and internationally averse compared to 20 years ago, where 
younger people at that time wanted to join international companies, wanted to go overseas, were happy to join startups because of the the international or the fast growth. And now I see a very large aversion to that. And that makes it even more difficult for SMEs and foreign SMEs specifically in Japan, that it just wasn't that way 20 years ago. Mm. Um, it was hard to find bilingual people, granted. Yeah. Um, but it, now you've, you might find some bilingual people, but they don't want to jump ship into into a, a, a foreign SME. And I so I I'm I hear what uh, you're saying, and that that challenge of building up those that strong focus team is is a challenge that uh, a lot of companies are going to continue facing in Japan. I think it's go- it's going to get worse and worse um, because of uh, the the population decrease, uh, basically. Uh, so the the available pool is going to, to decrease sharply, um, and then that means also that the the opportunities for the the candidates you were mentioning is going to to increase also very sharply because everybody's going to go after them. So they will have a, a huge range of options. Uh, salaries, etc., have been kept actually quite low. Mm-hmm. Everything considered uh, equal uh, over the years by the, I mean, big companies, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, I can see that starting to change, right? Uh, some of the of the key guys just to to recruit, for example, in in IT or elsewhere, were offering startups and starting salaries which were higher than the department head yeah. uh, because of the skill set. So, which is something very common, I would say, in the West, but uh, in Japan was very very hard to go through that barrier, and this is gone already because. If you want the competence, you have to pay for that. And people have a choice. And I think it was, what, three positions open in IT for, for, for one person. It's like, how are you going to build a sustainable organization with that? How are you going to build loyalty? Uh, what kind of, uh, what is the dream also of the new generation, right? What do they want to do? Uh, do they want to work really as hard as their parents or grandparents? Um, are they, what are the key drivers they want? To? You know, things are changing. Uh, and I can see that very, very sharply. So if you're not relevant or what you're offering is not on par with what this generation is looking, you're going to be in big, big, big trouble. And that encompasses so development plan, your Japanese-ness, your uh, life work balance, um, the kind of wide office. You want to do all full remote or do you still want to come to the office? If you come to the office, what's the value of the office? Just like bringing people to the store, right? If I can do my shopping online, why do you have to come you know, to the store to do my purchase? So if I can work uh, at my place, why do I have to come to the office? You have to bring something more. Uh, it has to be fun. It has to be uh, value added. Um, it has to be a nice environment. But you have to, we have to rethink. And I think in Japan, it's so hard. Uh, because the, the traditional model, I mean, you, you go and walk on a, on an open space with everybody lined up and then the kakaricho and then the bucho. And then, yep. oh my God, feels like the army. <laughs> <laughs> but one of the positive things is it's driving diversity and yes. it's giving opportunities to um, people who didn't have opportunities. It's allowing foreigners to enter into the Japan market and into roles that traditionally were not available. So there's, and that drives creativity, 
and change, which I find is exciting because some companies will embrace that. I agree. Uh, women in the workforce as mm-hmm. well. Um, for me, it's, it's going to be the main key driver of the change. Uh, uh, frankly speaking, with a, I love working uh, with with Japanese women managers uh, at, my, at my clients because usually they're far much better than their counterparts. Yeah. Um, by by all accounts, they had to fight far much more. They had to be smarter. They had to be more efficient. They know what they want usually, and it makes it far much you know easier smoother um and and you know it's severely has been i think severely at the tapped mm. market in japan there's huge competencies around the block but everybody you know what's um women want to go back on that if they had children when they want to go back they've been uh, let's let's put that word out mistreated yeah uh, i think it's unbelievable the the loss i mean there's competent people willing to work with highly well highly motivated, but you're not giving them freedom, you're not giving them responsibility just because they, they walked out of the market for a few years. What are we talking about? Makes no sense. What kind of society is sustainable if you're just discarding half of your population because of that? Well, love lack of trust. I, I, yeah. I have one story with a I had a a candidate who joined a company, Western company, very domestic inside, wasn't told, said it was very diverse company inside, but, you know, she has children and responsibilities. And this happens with both men and women, but just parents in general with other responsibilities and want the flexibility and have found, no, we we are going back to five days, six days a week in the office, uh, 10, 12, if you're in finance and accounting, it's mm-hmm. uh, you've got closing, we want you in the office. A lot of bad systems, like you'd mentioned, these these things will change. And the again, I think employees will vote with their feet, uh, which is a wonderful yes. image. Like, yeah, they'll say, okay, I can go somewhere else. Per hour, I might get a little less money, but mm-hmm. per life, it's, it's huge. So exactly. Um, I, I, speaking of time, we got, I got a couple of things I want to get through. First sure. is, is about time. You have a, a, a obsessive compulsive collecting habit. I hear. <laughs> Every, the cat, the cat is out. <laughs> so, so if anybody wants to start a collection, uh, call Pascal. So what do you what do you collect, Pascal? Yes. Yeah, so uh, I've been um, I've been collecting uh, watches. Uh, for quite some time, actually, okay. uh, a little bit of a fascination with uh, with time and uh, and clockwork. Uh, you know the, the beauty of uh, being able to to display something uh, which is passing like time on your wrist. Uh, I find it fascinating. And uh, as an engineer as well, uh, all the mechanics be behind this, um, you know, and all the key elements of clock. I mean, clockwork has been designed when computer were not existing. Uh, yeah. And we've haven't done really that much better since uh, you know 400 years ago. So, yeah, it's a little bit of an expensive habit of mine uh, well, on that end. What's your, what's your what's your key timepiece? Um, I'm very much into Cartier. Uh, I would say I, I love it. It's the most that's the French of the the Swiss brand, and uh, you know I wear uh, I wear my uh, my flag on the heart. 
So, had, uh, as a French, I had uh, William Neely, just a little bit of a pitch. I had a William Neely from Cartier on, on my show uh, a, a few months ago. So, uh, yeah, Cartier, wonderful. And uh, yes, and not very well known, actually, uh, especially in that field for men, men watches, but uh, it's one of the pioneers, uh, actually, in that field. It's also what, what I like about it. You know, they had started one of the first wristwatches for, for men or sports watch, whatever it was under the, the Cartier Santos Dumont. And it was designed in 1904, if I'm not for, um, mistaken, for um, Alberto Santos Dumont, who was uh, uh, one of the pioneers in the um, in avi well, aviation, uh, you know, plane. He was running, developing planes as a, a Brazilian in Paris. And that's how he met... Uh, we got here at that time. And what I love about them is they've been really pioneering new design, new ideas, incorporating also um, global ideas into specific something new. And you know, the motto of Lucartier was always create, never copy. Mm -hmm. And yeah. I find it extremely relevant, uh, extremely relevant up to this day. And that's also why I love them. And, and that talks about, you know, it, it's something... Uh, uh, it talks about the person, right? If you're wearing a, a Rolex, 100% uh, gold, yellow gold Rolex, tell tell something about you. Yeah. If you're wearing a, a Cartier Santos, it will tell something different. You're not the same person. Nice. And your personal might change, you know, over the years or even within a week or even with et cetera, but uh, it's still something different. And for me, that's pretty much in line with my values or what I try to do. And uh, that's why I, I love the brand that much. I, you you always have uh, class and and suave whenever I, I'm with you, Pascal. So I, I'm going to I'm going to we're going to end with uh, some rapid fire questions to see how suave you you come out. Uh, <laughs> um, so I, I've, I've picked out some I think that are relevant for you. What is your favorite word in another language? My favorite word. Ooh, that is a very challenging question because um, now you're forcing me to choose out of at least eight. <laughs> um, okay, I would answer. It might not be what, what you were expecting. Um, but I will say that it's uh, Angelina, because it's the name of my daughter. Oh, I love it. That's brilliant. And uh, I spent yeah. uh, actually a bit of time uh, being uh, of a French and, and Chinese actually ascent, so that it can be it can be used. Uh, there is an angel. There there is a lot of signification, oh. and my family is important for yeah, for me to be that the most important word for me. Mm. Good. That's a beautiful word, and uh, keep on uttering that. What's your favorite breakfast? <laughs> being being a French guy involved in uh <laughs> in bakery uh croissant. Nice. Uh, more pain au chocolat. Let's say pain au chocolat. Oh. chocolate. Mm. Uh, now I'm getting hungry. Uh favorite type of weather. Uh the weather we got in in Tokyo just when it's turning after the Sakura season. Oh. You know, it's just beautiful. And blue skies very deep. And then uh, all this beautiful, the air is changing, season is changing, you know, everything is reviving. Perfect. And definitely not the Japanese summer. Mushiatsu, <laughs> not for you. Uh, morning or evening? Definitely evening. 
Salty, um, salty or sweet? Ooh, now you got me on that one. Uh, moving more towards salt as I as I grow older. Okay, uh, yeah, me too. But I I have to go with my last name, don't I? Um, <laughs> do you, do you watch shows one episode at a time or binge watch a whole season? Mm, depends on the length of length of a season. There are only twenty four hours in a day, right? Uh, but yeah, binge would be with mother. Superpowers? Would you fly or have super strength? Flying. Flying you, do, you, do you kill bugs or do you take them outside? Mm, depends on the bugs. Okay. And uh, would you rather travel to the past or the future? Huh. Well, that's also a very difficult question. Um, with the kind of future which is brewing up right now, I'm thinking uh, traveling to the past might be a little bit safer, <laughs> at some extent. <laughs> but you go to go back to Narajida with your uh, with your sword and see what, how that how that fares exactly. out. For you. Well, fantastic! It's been wonderful to to chat with you uh, today, Pascal. You're you're always insightful. I learned a lot about uh, culture and sword fighting in your business, and I love talking about Japan business with you. And thank you so much. Where is the best place for people to reach out to you if they want to talk um, about swords or business? I am on several different platforms. Um, you can try me on uh, on LinkedIn. Uh, I'd say it would be probably the, the, the most visible one. Uh, Instagram, you can send me a request, but uh, I would uh, recommend LinkedIn probably. Right. And we'll, put, uh, we'll put links to that in the show notes. And please uh, be wonderful and uh, give Focus Core a five-star rating wherever you listen to our podcast. Again, thank you, Pascal. It was nice chatting. Thanks, David. Thanks very much. Thanks to Focus Call for the hosting me. Thank you. I'm doing the up down.